Peter's dilemma slash failure, his problem, his process, and his path. Failure. There's a word we don't like to say very often. There's a word we don't like to talk about a whole lot, but yet exists in each of our lives. Um, Maybe this will make you feel better. Uh, There's a guy named Stephen Thomas, who in 2011 uh, was paid in bitcoins and uh, for a service that he rendered. And he uh, received 7,000 bitcoins at $2 a share at that point. They're worth $2 a piece. Well, if you know anything about uh, bitcoins and cryptocurrency now, you know that's uh, different. Now it's about $60,000 a share. So that's a whole lot of money. Uh, Stephen ought to be doing pretty good right now, shouldn't he? Well, just one little problem. Um, when you buy these, this, these bitcoins, and at least where he got it, there's something called an iron key. And you're, you have a pa- password you give them. And then uh, whenever you want to go in and you want to cash these out, you put that code in and you get into the iron key and you get your bitcoins, you get your money. Problem was, Stefan lost the code. He doesn't have any idea where it is. He wrote it down. He has nowhere, no idea where it is. He thinks he might have thrown it away. He can't find it. And you only get 10 times and then you're permanently locked out. Well, those 7,000 bitcoins are now worth about $400 million. <clears throat> he said, I have no idea. At night, I, 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 I'm awake and I'm trying to think all the, all the things that could have been and I've tried and I've tried, tried, but I've only got two. And, I'm, and he, as a matter of fact, he just recently did one. So now he's got one left. And if it's wrong, he loses that money forever. He didn't get a dime of it. And so he lives in this anxiety. He said, I finally, I've, I've taken it and I, I've taken the, the drive where I could put it in and, I, and I've locked it up and I don't look at it because I get so depressed every time I walk by it. So I'm just trying to hide it from myself because I know I'll probably never get that money. And by the way, I was reading an article that um, that happens to 20% of the people who own Bitcoins. There's like $185 billion out that that will never get claimed, that'll never get used because they lost the password. I, I lose password. I, I don't feel near as bad uh, about losing my Netflix password now. I mean, it's just... <laughs> This doesn't seem, seem at the same stress level at this point in my life. But we all fail. We all make mistakes. I was reading an article by Richard Byer, who's an author and researcher, and he said, uh, failure's a whole lot more common than success. 75% of venture capitalist-backed startups fail, and 95% of them don't meet expectations. 40% of CEOs will be fired within their first 18 months. of mergers and acquisitions fail to add value to the shareholder. 81% of new hires don't work. 99% of new patents never earn a penny. 95% of new products introduced in a given year will fail. 68% of information technology projects fail to meet their goals. 88% of New Year's resolutions end in failure. And 100% of people fail. We all fail. So what do we do about that? Well, that's a good question. And, um, you know, there's some things we we need to think about and consider. And I was reading uh, this poem this week, and I thought it was excellent. And it's God speaking to us. And it's called, and God said, if. And God said, if you never felt pain, how would you know I'm a healer? God said, if you never went through difficulty, how would you know I'm the deliverer? 
If you never had a trial, you would think that you're an overcomer all by yourself. If you never felt sadness, you wouldn't know that I'm a comforter. If you never made a mistake, you would not know that I'm forgiving. If you were never in trouble, you wouldn't know that I could rescue you. If you were never broken, how would you know that I could make you whole? If you never had a problem, you'd never know I could solve them. If you'd never suffered, then how would you know what I went through? God speaking. If you never went through the fire, how would you become pure? If I gave you all the things you wanted, how would you ever appreciate them? If I never corrected you, how would you know I love you? If you had all power, then how would you depend on me? And if your life was perfect, then you wouldn't need me. And God said, I think that's so true for me. So true for a lot of us. And as we think about that, I think we're going to see in our text today. uh, What does it look like to deal with our failure? What does it look like to repent? What does that mean? You know, in 2 Corinthians 7.10, before we get into our text in John 21, it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Now, what, what is he talking about here? Paul is helping us understand that there's a way to deal with failure. There's a way to repent. And then there's a biblical way. There's a way most people in our world deal with our sin, deal with our junk, deal with our failures. And then there's a biblical way. So how do most people do it? What's the common practice? What, how do we usually do it? Well, we, we do it in what the Bible says is kind of a false sorrow or a false repentance. And that's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 7 there. What does that look like? Well, the first one, it looks like this. It looks like a superficial response. We do something wrong and go, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Sorry about that. And we just kind of gloss it over on the time. We just kind of say, I'm sorry. And that's the magic word and it's fine. And we think, hey, I just go on. Don't really think about it. Don't really change. We just say the word. Uh, Or we don't truly regret what we did or the situation, we regret the consequences. That's kind of what the Bible's talking about. It's kind of the worldly way to do it. I regret the consequences that have happened and, and what I'm having to face and what it's going to cost me now. That's what I'm really sorry about. Or self-pity. You go, oh, I'm so bad. I'm so awful. I'm so terrible. I, oh, no, please don't even say anything about it. It's just so bad. I just feel so awful. And we start to wallow in it. We start to wallow in our self-pity. And um, we say, oh, I, I, I'm a terrible person. I wish I could die. And we try to basically just deflect it and think, you know what, we'll just do this ourselves. We'll, we'll do some self-pity, some uh, just beat ourselves up a little bit. And then we won't really have to deal with it. We don't really have to do anything. Or we do the self-delusion method. We change the story. Well, you know, this happened because of this. And really, it's not really my fault. I'm sorry that's that the way they feel. I'm sorry that happened. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm good and this good. And they just have to get over it. Let's just move on. So we kind of change the talk with self-delusion. But what is biblical repentance? What does that actually look like? How do we know? Well, we're going to see it in our story here today with Peter. And we're going to see that. We need to recognize. We need to recognize our failures. We need to recognize our sin. We need to confess them. 
And we need to restitute. We need to make it right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John chapter 21. We started in John in August. Today we finished John in April. John 21, beginning with the 15th verse. A little background here to remember. Um, Peter is uh, his, in the, Jesus' deepest moment and harshest moment, sees Jesus and sees him go into the courtyard. He follows them there. Jesus is in court that night. And the Bible tells us specifically that Peter is around a charcoal fire. And there are soldiers and officers and people there. And he's around this charcoal fire waiting to see what will happen with Jesus. And somebody looks at Peter and they go, hey, weren't you one of Jesus' followers? He goes, no, I wasn't. That wasn't me. Nope. Another said, um, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure you were with him. You're, you're one of those disciples. And he, in fact, said, I am not one of his followers. And then the third time, and some scholars believe that in this curse, he was literally cursing Christ. Someone says, hey, your accent gives you away. We know you're a follower of Christ. And the Bible says that he curses. And the way the Greek's written here, uh, some scholars believe, theologians believe that he literally cursed Christ. And it's that thought that you would never curse your master or your teacher. So he must, it was the uh, most extreme position that you could go to, to disassociate yourself with someone. And that's exactly what he does. And then Jesus is crucified. And of course he's placed in the tomb. And then he, as we talked about last week, he's risen. And then we see him coming to Peter here, coming to his disciples here. After he's appeared a couple of times and he's here. And we pick up right here in chapter 15. Uh, they're out fishing. Peter feels like a failure. Feels like he's failed the one that he loves the most. And he just wants to get away. He feels like he's disqualified himself. But here's the great thing in the economy of God. Failure is only an event in the economy of God. It's never a destiny. Failure is an event, not a destiny. So Peter's out fishing and they've not caught any fish. He's trying to go back to his life, trying to get his mind off things. And someone's standing off on the shore and he said, why don't you put your nets on the other side? So Peter's thinking, obviously he doesn't know I'm a trained professional fisherman, but you know what? I'm tired. Right, we'll do it. He throws it in. They throw the nets in <clears throat> and they catch a massive haul of fish. I believe it was 153 large fish. And Peter realizes this is Jesus. He jumps out of the boat. He goes and Jesus says, y'all come have breakfast. He's cooking bread. He said, bring some of the fish you have. And we pick up here and he says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Now we see Jesus calling him Simon, son of John in the first chapter of John, when he first meets him. And what does he said? Simon, from this point forward, you will be called Peter. You will be the rock. You're, you're going to be a leader. And now he comes back at the end of the chapter when Peter is broken and it's like he's recalling me and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, the reason he says, do you love me more than these? That in Matthew 27, um, at one point, Jesus, uh, Peter says to Jesus, look, if all these other guys, speaking of the disciples, if they all leave you, Lord, I'll still be with you. I'll go to the mat with you. I'll, I'll, I'll die for you. Though everyone else leads. And Jesus Wanting to restore Peter. Peter thinks he's been disqualified, but he's not dealt 
with his failure. He's not dealt with his sin yet. And Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? And he said to them, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, well, then care for my sheep. I still want to use you. And he said to him second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, then tend to my sheep, lead them. We know Peter will become the primary leader of the church. He's been a spokesman. At this point, he feels disqualified. And then he says to him again, a third time. How many times did he deny him? Three times. Where was he when he first denied Christ? Around a charcoal fire. Where is he right now? And a charcoal fire. Only time we see these two Greek words used, a charcoal fire. So he sees it, he smells it, he remembers. He said, do you love me? And this time, Peter's grieved. He confesses. You know, don't you, Lord? You know I denied you. I was kind of pretending like you didn't. He said, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. I, I was wrong. I confess. And you know that I love you. And he said, Peter, go feed my sheep. Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And we have the parenthetical statement right after this where John lets us know that this at that time in that culture, uh, this would have been an expression for the crucifixion. Someone's going to stretch out your hands and they're going to take you and they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. And that's exactly what will happen with Peter. Except when Peter is crucified, he requests to be crucified upside down according to church history because he didn't find himself worthy of Christ. What do we see that Jesus does for him and what does Peter have to do? And this is biblical repentance. First of all, he has to recognize. Quit trying to hide it. Quit trying to pretend like it doesn't exist. Recognize your mistake. Recognize your sin. Recognize it. But it's not just enough to recognize it. Confess it. So many times we want to recognize and then do what we call blame shift. Yeah, that's right, but it was because of my brother, because of my sister, because of my father, because of my mother, because of my boss, because of the guy next door to me. Whatever it is, we all want to blame and we want to shift. And I wouldn't have done that, but. And Jesus is already saying, I know. Peter, do you love me? I recognize you know, Lord. And then the third time he says, God, I know you know all things. You know I've messed up. He goes, all right, then let's restitute. You've recognized, you've confessed. And now I want to use you. I want to redeem you. I want to use you. See, the enemy tells you this. You have disqualified yourself. You can never be used. You ought to be embarrassed. You ought to be so ashamed of yourself. You shouldn't even show up again. Don't even go to church. Don't even say that you know God. Just get away because you're such an embarrassment. You can never be redeemed. You can never be used. And that's the lie. He wants you to live by. He wants you to believe it and then start to live it out. And Jesus says, no, I want you to recognize it. I want you to confess it and let's make it right. If you've stolen, return it. It's not good enough to say, I recognize I'm a thief. And I confess I stole that. But if you don't mind, I'm going to keep it. <laughs> Matter of fact, I don't have to tell them. I've already said I'm, I feel bad. No. You give it back. If you lied, 
you tell the truth. If you hurt someone's feelings, you tell them you're sorry, for real. You don't just say, well, yeah, I know, and I, that was bad. Shame on me. We're missing a whole piece right there. And that's exactly what God does for us. When we confess, when we recognize, when we restitute, he gives us forgiveness. And here's the beautiful thing about the relationship with God. You know, Martin Luther said, all of life is repentance. And when you first hear that, you go, man, that sounds heavy and not fun. But when you think about it in a biblical manner, when you think about it from the standpoint is, I love, God has been so good to me. I love him so much that if there's anything I need to be corrected, I want to correct it. It's just like if you're a really good athlete, I was talking to John Lott, who's a member of our church, who's coached in the NFL for a while. And he was saying, he said, man, when I find talent in somebody that's coachable and teachable, man, I love that. And their ceiling is outstanding. He said, but when I get these guys that aren't coachable and they're not trainable, he goes, it's a burden. He goes in, it's an aggravation. And you usually see these guys leave. He said, but guys that want to learn, they go, oh, I did that wrong. I'll, what do I need to coach? I want to do right. He goes, man, my respect grows, their respect grows, and they become better and better and better. That's true in life. When we have a problem with someone and we sit down and we talk about it and they own it and we go, thank you so much. You know what happens is your relationship usually grows. It goes to a deeper level. That's what happens with God. It's a beautiful process that he takes our failures and he redeems them. Even though we screw up, we fail, we say, God, please forgive me, God. I, I recognize my mistakes. I recognize my sin and I confess it before you. And God, I want to make it right. And that's all the heart he's looking for. And then through his magnificent grace, he restores. It doesn't mean we always go back to exactly where we were. It doesn't mean our relationships are always the same. Sometimes we hurt and we damage people so badly that we can't make restitution. But what we can do is write a letter or let somebody know, hey, I was wrong. I've asked for forgiveness. If there's ever anything I can do, then I do that. Remember, restitution is not about you. It's about the other person. It's about making things right. This is the best example I could give you to help you understand this. Uh, and it happened to me. Um, and I was the one, I was the wrong. Uh, I had graduated from college and I started my first job teaching school and coaching at a little double A high school in Southwest Louisiana. And, um, you know, I, I thought this was going to be fun. And, um, you know, then we start, we go through all this training and there's all these forms we got to fill out and there's all these lists. And then my school had the, all these boxes you're supposed to check every day. You're supposed to get all these things done. Then you submit all these papers. And then some of these you just do. Uh, you don't have to, have to submit them, but you have to commit to do them every day. And so, I mean, as a new teacher, I'm like bombarded with this stuff. And I'm like, it seems like, like this is an hour and a half. And I'm thinking, I'm supposed to be coach. I'm supposed to be here for the kids. I'm not supposed to be doing all this paperwork. And so slowly but surely, I quit doing all the stuff I'm required to do. And I start kind of letting it go. And then, you know, you start uh, self-delusional. I start telling myself, well, it's really better that I spend this time and this energy on the students and not doing this silly paperwork. And then I need to get some rest, you know, and, and then nobody's checking on it. So I think, I think I'm all right. I think this is just what the government bureaucracy, they just make you do that. Nobody cares. Nobody even wants you to really do this. And so that's what I'm telling myself. And then one day the assistant principal comes. He says, Ron, Hey, uh, have you turned all your stuff in? And you know what I did? I lied. I said, yes, sir. He said, you've been doing all X, Y, Z? I go, yes, sir. He goes, can I see some of that? And I go, 
uh, I don't know where I put that. <laughs> he goes, you don't have it, do you? I, 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 well, I do, I did, but I, I you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing that thing. He goes, uh, Ron, come on, let's go. And so here I am. I'm a grown stinking man. I'm 23, I'm, I'm, I'm a graduate. And the assistant principal is taking me across here because I'm, I'm over in the furthest building from the principal's office. He's taking me to the principal's office. I'm walk, I've seen kids go with him all the time to the principal. Here I am, the teacher, going with the assistant principal to the principal's office. I'm like embarrassed. I'm thinking, dead gum. I'm in trouble. Are they going to fire me? Are they going to berate me or worse? I don't know what's going to happen. Am I going to lose pay? Am I going to lose my job? And I'm thinking all these things. And I come into Mr. Kraft's office. And I respected Mr. Kraft. Mr. Kraft was the one that gave me the job. He's a good principal. He's a big, strong man. He's always fair, high integrity. And I was thinking, oh, man, this is not going to be good. So assistant principal tells Mr. Kraft what's going on. It appears that Mr. Holton does not have his paper forms. And he's not done that, yada, yada, yada. And Mr. Kraft looks at me. And he says, Ron, is that true? I looked in his eyes and I knew I couldn't lie to him. I said, yes, sir, it's true. I haven't done it. I was thinking, this is not good. I was hanging my head and he goes, well, you know what? You're going to do it from now on, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. And he goes, all right, go on back to your class. I'm going, is that it? <laughs> Should I bend over and take a beating? I mean, what, 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 you know, that, that's it. <clears throat> and so I went back to the class and guess what? From that day forward, I did all my stupid paperwork. I still thought it was stupid, but I did all my stupid paperwork and I checked all my boxes. I did. And you know why? Because someone that I respected, somebody who I looked in the eye and said, yes, sir, who automatically forgave me when I confessed, he said, go back and do right. Basically go and sin no more is what he told me. And I didn't, I never forgot that. And that had a profound impact on me. That's a picture of the grace of God. He's not waiting to beat you. He's not willing, he's not ready to, to just take it out on you. But what he does want you to do is he wants you to recognize, he wants you to own it. And then say, God, I confess it. And then change it. Through his power, through his spirit, he will give you the heart. And if you fail, you get up again. That's biblical repentance. That's biblical grace. That's the God that loves us and gave his son for us. He takes no pleasure in our failure, but he loves to redeem us. Do you know him? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Thank you for that amazing grace. Lord, I pray that when we fail, when we send that, Lord, we would recognize it. We would confess it. And then we would take the steps to correct it, to not do it again with your power and your grace. For it's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of our own efforts or our own selves. So we thank you, God, for gospel repentance. We thank you, Lord, for gospel grace. And if there's someone that doesn't know you today, I pray that they come to know you this day. In your name we pray, amen.